You are the only participant. Right now. Four minutes that are blasting off. If not, totally. Giving my wife some cash. Thank you. Here's a 10. Or would you like a 20? Would you like a 10 or a 20? What do you want to get? I mentioned to Chaya Esther, his mommy's yard site. She said, your mother-in-law was a smiley, fun, wonderful mother.
Allen thrower. Okay. Hi. Uh -huh. I hi. I want a Baltimore. I'm Mr. Shapiro. Good evening. And uh, everyone else who uh, is going to hear this in podcast land or wherever you hear it, this is uh, a very uh, partial that's near and dear to me. As um, many years ago, not too many years ago, but many years ago, this is my bar mitzvah parsha. There was a big snowstorm in Baltimore, and um, uh, it's, uh, you know, I think I still know it, if they need a backup reader for the Torah this week. But but the uh, the other reason, quote-unquote, why Parsha's Yisro is such a um, powerful parsha is it has the Ten Commandments. It's got the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, um, the most you know, it's it's when it's it's when we're the story is shared with us of the only time in history where uh, God, uh, whatever it means, uh, had a in-person interaction with really anyone, but uh, it was with the entire Jewish people, and the entire Jewish belief is based on the story in this week's parsha. So, if you're going to read any parsha, this is it, because if you don't get this story right then you miss, you miss the boat with Judaism. There are people who uh, may not understand that, but if you think and probe and ask any questions, every single question in Judaism is going to come down to if you buy the story in this Parsha. So you'll be the judge, you read the story, learn, learn about it. Uh, the good news about the story is that the, the uh, entire religious world agrees to it. The Christians, when they started Christianity, so the entire world knew that God had revealed himself to the Jewish people, and they were they didn't dare deny the story. They just said that, well, you know, there's things that happened since. But as far as the story itself, Islam didn't either. Islam, it, neither Islam or, nor Christianity deny, they actually believe that the Jews um had this interaction with God. They just have their own uh, version of what happened uh, many years later. But, you know, the funny thing is, God, if God wanted to change his mind, he would tell us himself. He wouldn't just tell um, an angel to tell, to tell one person, or he wouldn't tell, at most, 12 people to tell the rest of the world. Kind of doesn't make too much sense. God wants us to know. He will let us know. And he didn't let us know. So uh, as far as we're concerned, and really anyone's concerned, the story in this Parsha, it, it happened, and no one, I mean, the whole world believes that it happened, uh, and but no one's come to tell us that God changed his mind, and in fact, he didn't change his mind. So, that's just something which you can't uh, really, really read this Parsha without uh, spending time on. The Rambam famously says that, that the, believe it or not, sometimes, you know, you go to something and you can't believe how someone doesn't get it. Well, the Rambam says that after the 10 plagues in Egypt, and even after the splitting of the Red Sea, and even after the war with the Amalek nation, and even after the, the manna fell from the sky, and even after the water came out of the rock, all this, there were still people uh, who did not 100% believe 
in what was going on here, that God was in charge and that Moshe was working with God, not working with God, working for God. And this story, the story of the nation of God is what nailed it home clear to every single Jewish person and really the entire universe. So that's uh, clarity is a really helpful thing. Um, it's very clear. Um, there's really, there's many books on it, many, many discussions on it. It's, it gives you a lot of pride as a Jew when you uh, take the time to actually try to understand the story a little bit and realize that it's, it's, really, the, it's really irrefutable. One more point on it. Famously, Eshat Torah made this famous, but it really is. It's been famous for the since the Torah was written. That um, the story is, is is a ridiculous story to make up if it wasn't true. The Torah claims that basically two and a half million people met God. Um, every other religion that makes a claim about God revealing Himself basically say they make a story which is very easy that no one could disprove it. If you say God met with one person, so if I come to you and I say God spoke to me, you can't say I'm wrong. You don't have to believe me, you can't say I'm wrong. If I make a claim that two and a half million people met with God, you can't, you can't, it's not gonna not gonna hold if it didn't really happen. And that is a very, very powerful thing. So we can know that we're doing the right things, and God really thinks that we're that we're uh, we're pretty amazing because He calls us His children. We're the children of God. So what can we learn? There's so many things we can learn from this parsha. Actually, the most of what I'm going to focus on is is not as famous. Is the first chapter of the story tells us how to deal with family. Uh, there's a lot of to learn there. Uh, actually, the source in the Torah that you have to that you you have to honor your in-laws is in this week's parsha because basically Moshe had a wonderful wife and he had a wonderful father-in-law and he hadn't seen his father-in-law in a while because his father-in-law, his name was Yisro, was not an Egyptian; he was a Midianite, and he wasn't around for the plagues. But the Torah starts off; he heard. He heard about what happened, and he went to catch up to Moshe. He brought, he came. Moshe's family was not in Egypt at the time. So um, he basically heard about all the amazing things, and he wanted to, to meet up with Moshe to hit, talk things over. And um, one thing that he does, the Rashi brings this down in verse 6. Rashi says... That he sent for Moshe, and he said, look, if you're not going to come out to greet me, then at least come out and greet your wife and kids. And the, um, who would I see focused on? I forgot who said, who focuses on this. But they say, the commentators say, that what was he, what was he saying? Come out for me. If you're not going to come for me, at least come for your wife and kids. And it's a fascinating explanation. I saw, yeah, I saw this from Rabbi Pliskin. Great books. Read all of Rabbi, Rabbi Pliskin's books. They're great. Wherever you're at in Judaism, they're great books. So anyway, Rabbi Pliskin says that Yisro was coming because Yisro was a very uh, sophisticated person. Maybe most one of the most sophisticated people to ever live. The Midrash tells us, Rashi really brings down the Midrash, that he tried out every religion at the time. 
every type of idol worship, every type of pagan, every type of everything. And his experience was that when you get very involved and you elevate high in your particular religion, then you get stuck in the ivory tower. That you basically, in order to be involved in whatever religion he tried before, it had to be that you disconnected from people and that you weren't really close to people. And, and you had to make a choice. Are you going to be close and understanding and tolerant and patient and giving to other people? Or are you going to be spiritual up on the top of the mountain? And so Yisro assumed he wasn't even upset. Yisro assumed he heard about his very prestigious son-in-law, Moshe, and he assumed that Moshe really was not even going to come out to reach his father-in-law. He wasn't necessarily going to come out to even reach anybody. But Yisro, Moshe, Moshe gave him the message, which is the, I would say, it's hard to say what the message of Judaism is, but I think one of maybe Judaism's most unique feature when when one looks at comparative religion, I don't really like to do that because we don't need to compare ourselves to something else to show how good we are. But but the reality is, a salient, unique feature of Judaism is that we say, on the contrary, the greater and more developed you become spiritually, the better you are at being a kind, generous person. We know Moshe was the humblest of men. Moshe cared about the Jewish people deeply, cared about all humanity deeply. And that was the lesson that Moshe not nailed home to Yisro. He says, Yisro, you want to know, learn about the plagues? You want to know about spirituality? Well, I'm going to show you. I'm going to come out to you. I'm the leader of the world. I'm going to come out to you. And that is something which, which uh, thank God and all the yeshivas that I've been to, and obviously I've seen this in family and everywhere where we're, I've seen authentic Judaism. There is no such thing as a separation of church and state. There's no such thing as, as you know, I'm, 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 I'm highly spiritual in my prayers and my study and in my rituals, but I'm, I'm not as developed in how I'm going to respect others, other, other, other people. And uh, that's a, uh, Judaism. We say a lot of, a lot of people sing the song every Shabbos, the ways of the Torah are sweet. They're sweet. They're very pleasant. And like I say on my birthright trips, if you, the reason why you don't like Judaism is it doesn't feel sweet, well, guess what? That's not Judaism. It might Someone might call it Judaism. They may think it's Judaism, but if it's not sweet, that's not what God had in mind, and you got, you got, the, uh, you got the generic version. Okay, moving along. Um, so basically what happens is Yisrael comes to town and he sees a line, you know, that makes the COVID test lines look short. I don't know about wherever you are, where, you're, where you end up hearing this, but around here to get a COVID test takes a very, very long time. And um, so there was a line very long every day. Jews were clamoring. It was a good thing to ask Moshe questions, you know, it makes sense. You know, if you knew, if you knew someone that they spent 40 days directly with God and knew and had the truth, you would clamor to hear him also. But Yisro shows up and says, you know what? This is not going to work. Moshe, you're going to run out of steam. They're going to run out of steam. 
you're just getting started. You got 40 years to go. I mean, at the time, they didn't know it was going to be 40 years. But but this is not it's not a good option. And he was the first, actually, I believe, uh, this, this research that shows that that uh, the judicial system in Western civilization is basically uh, predicated on the Torah. And basically what he instituted was the concept of circuit courts, family courts, district courts. And basically you have, you know, uh, simple, simple scenarios can go to a low level court and things work their way through. And you only need to talk to Moshe, quote unquote, the Supreme, the Supreme Court, if you're really motion needs to be the one answering that question. And that's what he basically instituted. Moshe went to God and said, Moshe, God, do you think this is a good idea? God said, yes. And um, that was what happened. So it's interesting. So, when, so, so they agreed to go ahead and make this new plan. And as they're instituting the plan, so the, the Torah lists the criteria to be a judge. And these are, I guess, very foreign for because we live in a political society where everything is based on voting and power and uh, whatever it might else might be. But this is what the Torah says is is required to be a leader. It says you shall caution the leaders regarding the decrees and the teachings, and you shall make known to them the path in which they should go and the deeds that they should do. Basically, you gotta tell these leaders, these, these judges, that they got to be great. They got to be the perfect role models because everyone's going to be looking to them and watching them. And therefore they have to be, they, they, they have to be beyond reproach, even to do things that wouldn't even look like they're doing something wrong. And the Gemara above Metziah, the Gemara above Metziah says that, um, that the, one of the things specifically referred to here is that they should do kindness. They should be known as very kind, generous people, so people would want to listen to them. And the Rabbeinu says in the Shari Tshuva, he said this is one of the main fundamentals of Judaism, and uh, it's such a. It was supposed to be, we see, you know, uh, that a, a leader in Judaism really was a public servant, uh, uh, someone who was there to help and model. And, uh, and really, as we've said many times, every person is an influencer, certainly in today's day and age with social media. But even without that, everyone, every person who interacts with you, every person who sees you, a person who hears you talk, certainly people who respect you, uh, that's a big responsibility we have. The more people you have that respect you, um, the more you have to realize you're on display. And even if you don't have people respect you, you're still influencing people because it just impacts everyone else. Okay, now, um, how did Moshe's father-in-law get his name Yisro? What's the name Yisro? So Rashi says, way into the story. This is a pretty a whole chapter in the Torah. And it says the reason why Yisro was called Yisro comes from the word Yeser. Yeser means additional. It says that because of Yisro's suggestion about how to deal with the judges, a whole extra chapter is, is, is recorded in the Torah. But it's interesting that the Sifri, the Medrash, says, it tells us about this information, 21 verses into the Torah. 
into this chapter. And the question is why? If really you would think at the very beginning of the chapter would be the time when the Torah would tell us Yisro is the one responsible for this chapter. And Ramir Shapiro says an amazing thing. Ramir Shapiro, the founding of the Dafyomi, he says, because what happens? What happens in verse 21? Listen to what happens in verse 21. So the past 20 verses, basically Yisro is telling Moshe, he's giving him criticism. He's saying, don't do what you're doing. But what happens in verse 21? He gives us a constructive advice. Because complaining is cheap. Anybody can look at someone. We're all experts at pointing out what someone did wrong. and, and right, We all are experts in that. But we aren't as expert at then t- going to the next step and making, see, well, what can we do about it? And that's when why Yisro is so respected. And that's why Moshe listened. Because what does it say he did? Yisro said, I want, I have a good suggestion and I'm going to help you do it. I'm going to help you do it. And that we know. So when when is criticism good? It's good if the person feels like you're actually there to help them, not, to, not just to complain. So until verse 21, Yisro hadn't quite proved himself that he wasn't just a, a naysayer. But he actually wanted to see difference. He had suggestions. Sometimes someone comes and they'll say, you know, you got this problem, you got that problem. But then you're like, now what? Well, what do you want me to do about it? But but Yisro came in and Yisro, um, Yisro he, uh, um, he, he, had, he really wanted to tell them Moshe felt it. That's something that we can learn from Yisro that if and when we're going to give some criticism, it has to be only in that it's constructive criticism, that it's actually going to be helpful. And certainly here, it changed the course of, 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 of history. So I'm going to jump to the end of the Parsha. End of the Parsha uh, talks about the construction of the altar, right? The altar was... You know, we don't really have this today, but in the times, in biblical times, there was a concept of bringing a sacrifice to God. It could sometimes it was food or whatever, or animals, whatever it was. You would you would uh, burn something in the honor of God, and you follow. You know, you might you know it's a very interesting practice, and obviously it's something that you really need the guidance of God to how to do appropriately and humanely, and 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 without wasting whatever is considered uh, appropriate. But it says there that you, they weren't allowed to use metal in the building of this big altar, which is unique because really everything is built with metal, right? You have hammers and drills and screwdrivers, but you weren't allowed to use metal. And the reason why you're not allowed to use metal is because metal is still true today, but certainly in old times, metal was stood for uh, uh, machines, uh, things that could hurt people, knives swords and they said the the altar was something that brought peace between the jewish people and god and it said it was inappropriate for any metal which has such such symbolism with 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 discord to be uh in a place that brings peace and the mechilta says the medra says that um all the more so if you someone here you have how much respect and honor we have for a pile of stones that helps to bring peace, how much respect we have to have for that. 
certainly we have to uh, honor and respect and realize how amazing and important it is to bring be a person who spreads peace. A person who can be a catalyst for peace, that is the highest, highest level. And it, uh, bringing peace between people in a family, bringing peace between friends and communities and any peace that you, that you can bring about is the, the highest level. What's a story with a great rabbi who visited a city in that town There was a bunch of, uh, you know, like many towns, they, they were having some issues. And they were like, wow, we have this world-famous rabbi here. And it was Tishabov. So they went over to the rabbi, and he said that, um, uh, you know, you know, like, can you help our town out? But we know you're probably going to want to wait till after Tishabov. And the great rabbi said, uh, we're going to do it today. There's no greater day than Tishabov to work on on bringing peace in a, in a community. What better thing could there be than 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 to bring peace to uh to a to a to a community? The similar idea, it says that the altar didn't have steps. It had a ramp, and the reason why it had a ramp was because it's more it's more modest in the in the temple. The people wore robes. Typically, they wore robe-like garments. And, you know, it's not as modest um, if there's stairs versus if there's ramps. And uh, that's it's out of respect to the holy article, the holy uh, edifice, the, the, the altar. And then, so the Mechota again says, if you see how much respect you have to have towards something inanimate that doesn't really have feelings, and how far we go to show respect, certainly... To people, people need people need a lot of respect. And I saw an analogy that if the song would go to the Western Wall, hopefully we all get to go soon. I love going to the Western Wall. And someone would you have all the crowds over there, and someone would take a big clog of dirt and throw it at the coattail. God forbid. Everyone will be all over him. Everyone would stop what they're doing and stop it. It would be everyone would be aghast about it. But if you have someone at the hotel and you see two people, someone not showing respect to someone else, most people, I'm not saying they're bad for doing this, but it's kind of just probably human nature, is most people buy wooden bad eyelash. Well, they certainly wouldn't say anything. But we learned from here that people people really deserve i mean they, not no one really deserves anything but they do deserve it's it, 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 it's appropriate to give respect to everybody and uh to to give people respect to stand up for other people's respect okay a couple other ideas and we'll wrap up one of the famous ideas that ha- that happens before the torah so the jews basically had 49 days by the time they left egypt until they get to mount sinai and this 49-day period was, was intended to be a time of growth. The Jewish people really were not in a state to have this very uh, intense interaction with God. And um, they needed to get ready. And we learned, the, Rashi shared with us the famous idea that what, what, did, what needed to happen for them to be ready? And famous, Rashi says, they, the Jews had to get to a state that happened once in history. 
has not happened again since. Hopefully it will happen very soon when Mashiach comes, but it has not happened since. And what it is, I'll say it in Hebrew, because it's pretty simple Hebrew and it's a very powerful line. Ke'ish echad belev echad. The Jews were like one man, one heart. They had absolute unity. That means no one, everyone got along. Everyone for one night, one morning, actually, whatever it was, one short amount of time, the Jews got to the point where they had absolute unity. We don't even know what that means. We can't even imagine what that means. But they had it. And that was the prerequisite to be close to God. And that's still the case today. That's still the case today. That um, that now, now you know, it's very, it's, it's very cliche. You know, Jewish unity and the community and everyone's into unity. But the problem is, as we know, a lot of times in the name of unity, there ends up being a lot of, a lot of disunity. And why does that happen to us today? And it didn't happen then. And what in many commentaries say the same idea, but in different ways, is that what? how do you get to a point where you actually have real unity, where everyone really is, to, is one together? So unfortunately, the only way to get there is if you are, you all have the same goal. You don't have to be the same, but you have to have the same general goal. So it's very, very difficult to have unity if people have vastly different general goals. Now, we can be different. There were 12 tribes then also. And even the 12 tribes were divided up in different families. So people have always been different, always will be different. The difference then was they had something that they all related to and they all were connected with. And Judaism says the way to do that is do it through God. Do it through God. We, as, as wonderful as there's lots of unity campaigns that try to keep God out of the picture and try to keep mitzvot out of the picture, the reality is that you're not, the only way to have unity is with the only thing that really is one, which is God. And that's why it's, we, we, we're struggling so much because we, 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 we try to keep God out of the picture, and we all do this, even people very religious. We try to sometimes keep God in a nice, comfortable corner and not let him in where we don't want him in. So that is what happened in Mount Sinai. And today, um, uh, that's the same thing we got to do. It doesn't mean to get neurotic. It doesn't mean we need to be fanatical. But it does mean that what I and my fellow Jew have in common, yes, we family, and I have to care about them regardless of what their opinions are and religious beliefs are, but the ultimate thing that brings me and the other Jew together is the reality is we are both children of God. And it's very hard for the unity to play itself out if you don't believe that. So this is kind of where treating other people nicely overlaps with religion, because ultimately the world was designed to have a God in the picture. When God is left out of the picture, it's usually not very good. Okay, um, I guess you can't go to this week's partial without uh, mentioning the famous, famous song and, and story that what happened 
when God goes to the Jewish people, famous Kamara, I believe in Shabbos, God went to all the nations of the world and says, do you want my Torah? And went to one nation and they, they started asking questions and they weren't getting the answers they wanted. Finally, God goes to the Jewish people, says the matters and says, Jewish people, do you want the Torah? Do you want the plan? Do you want my plan for the world? And the Jewish people didn't ask any questions. They said, Nasa Benishma, we are, sign us up. We are committed and we'll do whatever it is. Tell us afterwards what it is. And this is to bring us full circle for kind of what we like to focus on on Thursday nights is the idea of in a relationship. And I, um, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm, not a, a, um, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a counselor, but I do meet a lot of people. I do listen to a lot of people. And one thing which is a challenge in our generation, I think we all have it to some degree, um, is we have the C word, right? The commitment word, right? Many of sometimes will, someone will try a job or they'll try a class or they'll try a relationship or they'll try an endeavor, they'll try something and it won't work out. And they'll wonder why is it not working out? Well, there you got to be committed to something. You're not committed to something. It's not going to work. And the Jewish people did that. They signed up. When you sign up for something, amazing things happen. When someone says, you know what? That neighbor of mine, they're not moving, and I'm not moving. We're stuck. We're here. We're just going to have to find a way to at least be civil, hopefully more. And in, in families, in communities, in workplaces, in synagogues, Wherever it is, as soon as we uh, come to realization that we're kind of committed, we're co now not everything has to be committed to. There are things that are not good ideas to commit to. But something that is a value or something that basically you've come to the realization that it's going to be that way, as soon as we can accept that just is what it is, it becomes so much easier than to do the right thing. And this happens all the time. I see it. I'm sure we all could think of, of situations where if we just chopped, as they say, stopped fighting City Hall, because you're not going to win, and that's the situation, and then you can you can do what the Jews did. It's not easy being Jewish. It's wonderful being Jewish. It's amazing. There's nothing better. But if, um, if we wouldn't be committed to it, it's not going to happen. Someone, someone had asked me, they were growing in their Judaism, you know, starting keeping a little bit of kosher, a little bit of Shabbos, a little this, a little that. And they said, you know, I've met Jews who are more observant than me, you know, possibly. But who's more, who's more Jewish? The person who's growing or the person who maybe is even going down in their Judaism or maybe stagnant? And I said, look, Judaism is about growth. If you and it's about commitment. God says many places, Talmud and Brachas, Rachmana Liba Boy. God wants your heart, and people want your heart too. People can tolerate a lot from other people, from friends, co-workers. People can tolerate it if they feel that you're committed. I can deal with your mistakes and your insensitivities and your inconsistencies. If I know, you know what, any of the day you're committed to me, you're just making a bunch of mistakes. 
But a person gets zero tolerance for someone else or something when they don't feel that they're, the person is committed. And that's something that we have with other people. We have with Hashem. When we get committed to things that we're supposed to be committed to, then we get a tremendous amount of, of motivation, of power, and divine assistance to, to be the best people that we can be. Just a quick review. We talked about how this partial the revelation of God about signing to the Jewish people is the foundation, the bedrock of Judaism, really the bedrock for, for, for the entire existence that, that all humans have. Talked about how Moshe um, smashed the myth that Yisro had from the rest of the world that, that being on a very high spiritual level is a contradiction to... Um, to, to being nice to, uh, to other people. The, actually, we, Judaism says the greater you are spiritually, the greater you are you should be uh, when dealing with other people. We also learned from Yisro that we, they are appointing leaders. Leaders were not about college degrees and they weren't about political acumen or popularity test, contests. They were about how great of a person you were and re- recognizing that we're all influencing others and we got to got to keep our, make sure our game is going well. We learned that what was so great for Mayor Shapiro about Yisro, most people are very good at finding problems with things. The, what made Yisro great, that he had constructive criticism. He, he really wanted to help. He really wanted to do change. He wasn't just looking to find to find problems. We learned from the Mechilta the way that there's no metal on the Mizbeach, that how, how important it is to bring peace to other people. We learn from the fact that there's no stairs on the altar, that how much respect we have. We, we learn respect for inanimate objects and certainly respect for people. We learned about the importance of being, of being having real unity. Unity is when you really can respect the other person and you have clear unity of purpose and bringing God in the picture is extremely uh, crucial uh, for that. And we learned about how with God and as well as us, when a person is not seven ishma, they're just committed. They're committed, and they're going to do whatever they have to do. And um, that is some. They're just this parsha is just so packed. Take a look in the in the in the chumash, read it through. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Stay warm, and thanks for coming on.